This is Scott, host of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast and Black author. You could get all three of my books. My first book, Systematic Racism and Capitalism, Alliance of Oppression. My second book, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy. And my third book, my first novel, Exodus 2035, all available on Amazon.com and Amazon Kindle. If you don't have a Kindle, you can download the Kindle app to your smartphone or tablet, and you can access those products. Thanks for listening. Um, don't forget you and you network. You can find that on Instagram, you and you underscore network, where you can find all the shows uh, under the you and you network. Shout out to the you and you network. You know what I'm saying? And all those podcasts that's on you and you network. Think for the you and you network. The head brothers at you and you network. You can check out the socials at you, a n d u underscore network come on what 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 the context of my education if you could call it that i would prefer to call it the course of my indoctrination my training which started in Ethiopia, East Africa, and continued in Brazil, Cuba, Puerto Rico, the United States, Virgin Islands, England, and Spain. Been around a few places. And in all of these places that I've been, I never once received an education in the history of African people. Yet I thought that I've educated myself down through those period of time. And it is because of that self-education in those things which meant most to me as an African person that I decided at no time would I stand still in these halls of indoctrination and not rebel with the necessary documentation of the lies that are being taught in these halls. And so I may be saying things that may hurt many of you if not most of you because some of the lies have become your dear frame of reference. In a study conducted in 1927, University of Buffalo sociologist Niles Carpenter discovered that many city employers considered blacks to be slow thinkers who were not able to assume any responsibility. Most of those interviewed agreed that blacks should always have a white man as a foreman. With such sentiments prevailing, it is not surprising that the large majority of black workers were confined to low-paid, unskilled, and semi-skilled jobs that their status improved only marginally. So Charles Murray wrote this book called The Bell Curve, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. It was 25 even. Yeah, Yeah. where he argued that uh, there are racial differences in intelligence, 
uh, IQ specifically with Asians being the highest and then whites and then blacks and that that's just the way it is and social adjustments aren't going to change that because it's um, largely genetic. Right. And, you know, that's, as I understand, that was the argument. I haven't I read don't think book. it's saying largely genetic, but I think they're saying that genetics play a factor and environment plays a factor. I think some people are not willing to look at genetics if it shows an unfavorable trait in minorities. They just, they don't want to look at it. Uh, since early in the 20th century, the Lackawanna plant was the largest manufacturing employer in the Buffalo area. The plant was also Bethlehem Steel's largest plant and the fourth largest steel plant in the United States. As a result of the changes made by the United States against Bethlehem, the company admitted that it had engaged in several different discriminatory employment practices at the Lackawanna plant up through September 1967. Consequently, the only question to be resolved in the case was the nature of the remedy. The discriminatory practices revolved around hiring, job assignment, and promotion. For example, Bethlehem Steel admitted that it never applied any objective standards for new employee hiring and job assignments. As a result of the lack of any uniform procedure, the company's plant employment office, and this is all directly in a quote, falsely raised the general aptitude test scores of some white applicants, hired some white applicants without testing, granted preferential treatment to white applicants for summer employment and, in general, provided employment opportunities to white applicants which were not generally provided to Negro applicants. With respect to discriminatory hiring, the company also admitted that its supervisor of employment consistently gave preferential treatment to residents of Angola, an all-white suburb outside Buffalo. Because of this preferential hiring of whites, only 2.5% of all of the individuals hired by Bethlehem during the summers of 1966 and 1967 were African American. Once hired, blacks were consistently given the least desirable and lowest paying jobs welcome back to the unprocessed knowledge podcast everybody should be following me on instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge hit the link tree in my bio get access to this show no matter if you have an apple phone an android phone if you want to listen to it on your laptop if you want to donate to the show if you want access to my books that are available on amazon.com follow me on instagram hit the link tree in my bio a lot to unpack in the opening clip. We had four clips. The first clip, clip, the first voice that you heard, that was that of Dr. Yosef Benyakinen, also known as Dr. Ben. You heard two clips courtesy of the context of white supremacy. They had two authors on there. The first, Dr. Neil Krakus, who wrote a book called The History of Deliberate White Supremacy in Buffalo. The second was Dr. Sean Lay, who wrote a book called The History of White Terrorism and KKK in Buffalo, New York. So that was two different clips from two different authors. The host was reading from their books. In between that, 
you heard a clip from Joe Rogan that was four years old where they were talking about the bell curve. So let's unpack everything you heard. As you heard in the opening clip, there was a study done in, uh, in Buffalo, New York in the early 1920s where a majority of white people believed that black people were dumb and stupid and they needed white supervisors to to manage them on the job because you know they was too dumb to have management positions so they needed white they they needed white folks if they were even smart enough to get the job at all come to find out that same buffalo steel plant which was the fourth largest steel plant in america at the time during the 1920s they weren't even Number one, they were lying about the aptitude scores of the white employees or just flat out not even testing them. They would just see a white person apply for the job and just give them the job. Either they would lie about their scores or they wouldn't even test them at all. At the same time, they were saying black people were dumb and stupid and that they needed white supervisors. Because when they were asking them, well, you know, how come 2% of of the plant is black folks. They would say, well, they can't pass the aptitude test because they're dumb and stupid. It's not our fault. Black people are inherently stupid. Merged in between that was a clip from the Joe Rogan show where they talked about this book called The Bell Curve that came out about 30 years ago. Where they And the point of this book is basically this. Black people are genetically inferior and that they're dumb. And there's nothing you can really do about it because it's in their genetics. And they'll never be smart. That's the whole point of this book. Racist logic. Now. Let's bring it full circle. You heard two clips from two Caucasian scholars that wrote two separate books about the history of racism in Buffalo, New York. And you heard a clip about the bell curve and black people being genetically inferior. They've been telling that lie for over a hundred years. Remember, that's what they were saying in the 1920s. Now you may think, well, it's got a lot to change. That's a hundred years later. People don't think that way today. Really? Peyton Gendron, who went to that top grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and targeted black people. When he posted his manifesto online, he had a paragraph from the bell curve in which he said, outlined that black people were genetically inferior intellectually. And since they were genetically inferior intellectually, they were holding back Western society. And since they were holding back the development of Western society, because all these black people are so stupid and dumb, they must be killed. That's the point of these lies. That's the point of this racist rhetoric is to justify harming you. No wonder why Joe Rogan's so popular. No wonder why they gave him like a two hundred million dollar contract. So he can go on his show and say, yeah, well, you know. If it's something negative and a minority's genetics, I mean, people, they just don't want to accept it as a fact. You know, we, we can't help it. These niggas are so dumb and stupid. They've been p- playing that con game for well over 100 years. The con game is let's just tell everybody that black folks are dumb and stupid. Let's not even let's lie about the aptitude test scores of these white folks or not even test them at all and just say they're just so smart and great and give them the job. 
and then let's just lie and tell the black and say that the black people can't pass the test and they're too stupid to work here. It's not our fault. You see the con game? Now I know what you're saying. Oh, that was in the past. That was a hundred years ago. That clip I played from Joe Rogan was four years ago. Peyton Gendron, that wasn't a hundred years ago. They still think like that. They still think like that. And the big problem is there's a lot of black people that think like that too. Because we've been trained and conditioned to think how our enemy thinks. We see ourselves the way our enemy sees us. There's too many black people when they see another black person, they just think he's dumb and stupid. They think, what's wrong with black people? Why can't we get it together? I think we just genetically inferior. That's what you think. The same people who told you that you were genetically dumb by nature told you that Christopher Columbus discovered America, told you that Jesus was white, told you that George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were great heroes of this nation. You believed it then, and you still believe it now. That's the problem. That's the problem. You think it. You think black people are inferior. That's the problem. And again, this wasn't going on in Arkansas. This wasn't going on in Texas. This wasn't going on in Mississippi. Well, it was. But this was also happening in Buffalo, New York, the north, the east coast. And here's another lie. We think the face of racism in America is a bunch of poor, white trash, white folks down in the south who just hate niggers and ain't got nothing going on. Well, let's hear some more from Dr. Sean Lay. In the Niagara, uh, you write, uh, the recent body of work suggests that the KKK was much more of a, you use that word, mainstream organization than was once mm-hmm. believed, and that Klansmen, although assuredly racist and bigoted, were average citizens in the context of the time. My word. Indeed, a major theme of this new scholarship is that the intolerance that characterized the KKK pervaded all levels of white American society in the 1920s. My question, you certainly can give us more detail about that, but my question is, is that still true today, 100 years later? (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. You you want a succinct answer? (laughs) There's one. I mean, that is so true, and it's been one of the things that's irritated me throughout my uh, my life. Here, here's the little trick you'll see in the white community, and I'm sure Gus, you know, you know about this, is that when white people, white society, are denying racism and bigotry, they always go, "It's those dumb rednecks down at the bottom. It's these ignorant, low class, prone towards violent type stuff, and and people who are educated." and sophisticated and cosmopolitan uh, don't embrace any of that stuff and so it's a a lower class phenomenon and for a long time historians did the same thing when they read about the second clan they said this is a this is without any evidence whatsoever and they uh, they said this is a movement of uh, people down at the bottom they're beset by economic anxieties uh, emotional instability, stuff like that. And so one of the things I was able to do and other historians have done is 
I, I really lucked out in the case of Buffalo. I got a membership list, a complete membership list, which had been stolen out of the Klan offices and put on display. And guess what? Ignorant, impoverished rednecks down at the bottom will look at the membership list. And the membership list provides almost a perfect cross-section of the white middle class. And so it makes the point, doesn't it, that racism, bigotry, suffuses white society, uh, including those people that always try to deny it up at the top. You know, in, in academia. Those are the white people down at your job. Those are the white people at your local grocery store. Those are the ones at the bar you hang out with. Those are the ones you buddy-buddy with on vacation. Those are the ones who vote for the Democratic Party. The white middle class. Point blank, period. Let's talk about Emmett Till and the racist white woman, Carol Ann Bryant, who is still alive, who assisted in his kidnapping and is also an accessory to murder. The lynching of Emmett Till in 1955 inspired civil rights protests across the country. The pretext for his notorious murder was that the 14-year-old made improper advances toward a white woman in the Jim Crow South. That woman later admitted he never touched her. We now know that police issued an arrest warrant for her role in the kidnapping, but never arrested her. Well, that warrant from 1955 was recently found in a Mississippi courthouse basement. And relatives of Emmett Till are calling for police to serve the warrant and charge Carolyn Bryant Dunham with a crime. Jeribu Hill represents the family of Emmett Till. Welcome to All Things Considered. Thank you, Ari. Will you begin by explaining how this document, 67 years after it was first issued, was unearthed? Yes, uh, a team of five people, including family members, went to the basement. The access was given by the circuit clerk, Elma Stockstill, allowed us to have access to the courthouse where the documents were found. Uh, We considered it to be somewhat miraculous since all of the officials had been telling us that uh, if there was a warrant, they didn't know of its present existence. It was just found in a box in the basement. I mean, found in a box in a basement labeled 1955. Hmm. And what was so interesting is that everything was found at the same time. The warrant, the affidavit of arrest, and also the uh, capius was found as well. So all of the documents that you would need in order to have served this woman in 1955 were present and available in that box. Carolyn Bryant Dunham is close to 90 years old now. Do you factor her age in at all when you consider what the family wants to see happen next? Okay, I do not. I'm very respectful of the fact that people can live longer and have. But no, I don't factor it in because Emmett Till is laying in his grave at 14 years old Mamie Till died before she got a chance to see justice for his lynching. For 67 years, Carolyn Dunham Bryant has been allowed to escape even real interrogation, let alone prosecution. And so what would you like to see happen? What would the family like to see right now? We want to see that warrant served on Carolyn Bryant. We also want her culpability to be the subject of an actual grand jury hearing. And we believe through addressing her culpability that at the very least, there will be a full-fledged investigation. What we hope is that there will be a trial 
where she is charged with a kidnapping that led to murder. Okay, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the details, when Emmett Till was kidnapped from his uncle's house before he was lynched, there was a woman, an unidentified woman in the car who pointed him out. That unidentified woman, everybody knew, was Carol Ann Bryant. She assisted in the kidnapping and the murder of Emmett Till in 1955 an arrest warrant was issued never served not ignorance I said on this podcast previously it's not that black people do more crimes than white people white people aren't punished for the crimes that they do that woman's husband and his buddies who murdered that 14 year old boy went to court and got acquitted they never served one day in jail And everybody knows that they killed that 14 year old baby. They never serve one day in jail. Carol Ann Bryant never interrogated, never arrested. That warrant should be served. I don't care if she's 90 years old. If if, if she's 90, she didn't live long enough. She can do another 20 in prison. From what I hear, she's actually living with family down in North Carolina. You and you stepchild, be be on the lookout, brother. You might have to make a citizen's arrest down there. You see some old white women in their nineties that look like they could be racist. It, it, it might be her, brother. It might be her. You might have to go ahead and drop a dime on that one. All right, let the authorities know where she is. That woman's age don't have. She's been a fugitive for justice for sixty-seven years. Sixty-seven years. Not ignorance. Do you realize since we're talking about intelligence, do you? Here's here's the irony of it. White people claim to be genetically superior and intelligent in everything except when it comes to racism. When it's racism, they ignorant and they confuse and they don't know anything. Racism, what racism? What are you talking about? Systemic racism, oppression, what? That's that's still going on? Mm. Really? They what? You mean the white folks? The white managers down at the job didn't take the aptitude test. Oh my goodness. Ooh. Mm. Well, golly gee, don't fall for the con game, guys. About a month ago, they prosecuted a former Nazi in his hundreds. I think this guy was like 105 years old. They wheeled him in the courtroom and charged him with war crimes from the 1940s because he was a former Nazi. They said, yeah, you live to 105. Well, you can do another 10, 15, 20 in that jail cell as long as you live. Maybe you got another th- a good three, four years left. They'll be in prison. They didn't give a damn how old he was. Once again, this has been another episode of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. Thanks for listening. But there's more than that. Because you have been told that unless Europeans teach you, you haven't been taught.